0: Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. Matthew 25 verse 14. If you're using the black Bibles that are provided, that can be found on page 830. Matthew 5:14. I'll give you a moment to find that. Matthew chapter twenty-five verse fourteen. If we're in the midst of the Olivet discourse that Jesus has been uh, teaching his disciples about his return, he's been explaining that that uh, he is going to be going away, and in the but in the in between time between him ascending up into heaven and returning to gather his own and judge his enemies, he's been teaching the church, his people, how they are to live, and he's uh, been giving several parables actually teaching us the important really the ongoing theme is be ready be ready for the Lord's return and the last time we were in Matthew 25 we we studied um, the end of 24 and beginning of 25 and and that taught us the importance of of being ready and and waiting for the Lord's return and waiting in readiness for the Lord's return remember the parable of the of the young women waiting for the bridegroom to come Well, now as we move into a new parable in verse 14, um, Jesus is going to teach us more and kind of hone in more on what does it look like to be ready? What does it look like to to wait? Waiting is not a passive thing. This is not just go sit on a hillside and wait for the Lord to return. No, he's going to teach us that that being ready means actively serving um, the Lord, actively seeking God and, and seeking his kingdom. And so that today we want to consider verses 14 through, through 30. It's called the parable of the talents. So I'd invite you to stand with me, please, for the reading of God's word. And just follow along as I, as I read Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. Let's hear the word of God together. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. Thanks be to God for his word. May he give us ears to hear this morning. Please be seated. What you do today matters for eternity. What you do today matters for eternity. I know that as we go through our the daily routine of our lives, it's easy for us to lose sight of that truth, isn't it? We, maybe we just get caught in kind of the monotony of, of you know, doing what, what our, whatever our responsibilities are. But this passage reminds us, Christian, that what you do matters for eternity. Whether you're a student or a stay-at-home mom or you're out in, in a career... Every day is a gift from God, and every day is an opportunity to bring God glory. Jesus has been using, again, I mentioned that he's been using these parables to teach his disciples how they are to live as they await his return. And so here in verse 14, we enter into another parable. Look with me there. Jesus says, for it will be like a man going on a journey. And so we'd have to just kind of pump the brakes and say, well, what does he mean, it? What is it? Well, if you look up at the the parable right before that, the one at the beginning of chapter 25, right there, Jesus said, then the kingdom of heaven will be like, right? So he's continuing on in that same subject matter here. Now with this parable, he's continuing to teach about the kingdom of heaven. And now this time he's saying it's going to... its not. Last time it was it's about young women preparing for the bridegroom. This time he says it's going to be like a man going on a journey. Okay, so that's the subject. Jesus is teaching us about God's kingdom and how we are to live as a follower of Christ. Verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants... And entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents. To another two. To another one. To each according to his ability. Then he went away. So if you remember the different parables that Jesus has been giving in the the Olivet Discourse here, the, the teaching from the Mount of Olives, this parable is similar to the one we see at the end of chapter 24 in the fact that we have, once again, we have a wealthy man who's going away on a long journey, and before he departs, he calls his servants together and he entrusts to them sums of money. That's what he's talking about here with the talent. Right? We, we may want to think, oh, talents, you know, it's like being able to juggle or something, right? No, talent was a, a measure of weight. It was, a, it was an amount of precious metal. It was an amount of money. So a ta- you could have a talent of, it was about equivalent to 75 pounds. So you could have a talent of gold or a talent of silver or a talent of, of copper. And Jesus obviously doesn't say which metals in view here. But either way, a talent was a considerable amount of money. One commentator I read said it was about 20 years worth of wages, right? And again, depending on what type of metal you're referring to. So this is a big chunk of money, just one talent, right? And notice as Jesus, or as the, the, the master who represents Jesus, of course, right, going away. Uh, as the master entrusts the, the talents to his servants, verse 15 doesn't give any explicit instructions from the master, but we are to understand. That the master told his servants, hey, I want you to use this money that I'm entrusting to you, that I'm loaning to you. I want you to use this money to do what? To go make more money, right? That's, that's the idea here. And, and we're, we see that as we go through the parable. Because down in, in verse 27, the master talks about investing. Right? So that's what the master is wanting and expecting from his servants right now. For them to be good stewards of this money, for them to take this money and, and, and go invest it, right? Trade with it, uh, buy something. Somehow make a profit. Uh, increase the value of the master's property. We could say grow the master's business. Grow his fame. Notice that the master gives different amounts to the three servants, right? That's very clear. Five talents to one, two to uh, the second guy, one to the third. And it says each according to their ability. So the master knew the, the differing abilities of his servants. And so he gave more money and thus greater responsibility to the servants who were the most capable. Now then having entrusted... Right? That's the word that's used here. Having entrusted the servants with the varying amounts of money, verse 15 says, the master goes away. And again, this is is a picture for us of what it's like for us right now to be a Christian. Right? Jesus has graciously saved us from our sins. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and, and placed us in his kingdom. And Jesus now, having risen and ascended to his heavenly throne, he's in heaven now, reigning from the Father's right hand, right? So he has gone away to heaven. But one day we know he's coming back. He's returning. And so while he is away, what are we to be doing? Well, Jesus expects us to be living for his glory. Jesus expects us to enjoy knowing him and and making him known. Jesus expects us to be living for the fame of his name. So right away we see every believer has a calling. We have this calling to bring glory to God. As Christians, God has entrusted each of us with many things, really, right? He's given us life. (laughs) He's given us time. He's given us resources and gifts and abilities and opportunities. And he expects us to put them to work for the good of his kingdom. Now, like the parable says, we, have, we, we may have varying amounts of these things, right? Some of us are, you know, you're in different seasons, you have more time than others, it feels like, or, or whatever, different giftings. But we've all been given something. And again, thinking as believers, we've all been given new life in Christ, we've all been given the Holy Spirit. The very Spirit of God living in us. And that means God's love has been poured into our hearts through the indwelling Spirit. We've all been given, as as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, the message of reconciliation. We've been entrusted with the gospel. We've been given the the message of reconciliation through Jesus Christ. We've each been given spiritual gifts with which we are to serve others to the glory of God. Earlier we heard... 1 Peter 4 read for us. And I just want to point you back to a couple of verses there. 1 Peter four ten, It says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another, get this, as good stewards of God's varied grace. And then he goes on in verse 11, whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. And then Peter just breaks out into a doxology. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. But see, the same truth is taught there that we are stewards. What's a steward? A steward is is someone to whom something has been entrusted, right? It's not theirs. It's on loan to them. And they're to do something with it. They're to be faithful, 1 Corinthians 4, 2 says, that's what a steward should be, faithful to use it for its intended purpose. And so that, that's, already we're, we're being reminded of these truths of, of what the Christian life looks like. It's a stewardship. And I, I just, as I was studying this passage, I just kept looking at that word there in verse uh, 14, I believe it is, entrusted, entrusted, entrusted. God has entrusted us with so much. We are not our own. We are, we've been bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body, 1 Corinthians 6.20 says. And so again, this shows us our calling, loved ones, even, even just in a, in a general broad sense here. We're to bring glory to God. We're to seek first his kingdom. And so that that helps already. I I hope you're thinking this way. That helps us, kind of sets a course for what our daily life should look like, doesn't it? We need to be in the word. We need to be in prayer. Learning what God would have us to do. And again, growing close to him. And and then we need to be, as we're doing that and as we're enjoying our fellowship with him, we need to be praying and, and asking God... How can I bring you glory? How can I bring you glory today? Who can I share the gospel with today? Who can I point to Christ today? Who could I invite to church? How can I encourage my brother or sister in their walk with Christ? How can I be a blessing in this world? How can I show others that Jesus is Lord? Every day is an opportunity to do those things. Our lives are a stewardship from God. We are to be living for God's glory. Right, isn't this what it means to be a Christian? And again, isn't this part of the the, main, uh, the paradigm shift that, that takes place when, when God regenerates a, a, a lost soul and, and gives them the new birth, right? Is they realize, wow, this, my life is not my own. It's not about me living for my, my sensual pleasures. No, my life is to be lived for, for the Lord. All right, so back to the parable. Having entrusted his servants with varying amounts of money to be invested, the master goes away then in verse 15. And again, this is a reminder to us that Jesus has been teaching, right? He's, gonna, he, he's been preparing his disciples for this. Hey, I'm going to go away. I'm going to go away. It's going to be, be for a long time, verse 16. Or we'll see when he comes back. Right? There's going to be a delay here. But look what happens now in verse 16. The master's gone away. The servants have the talents, have been entrusted to them. I love this first guy, verse 16. He would receive the five talents went at once and traded with them. Right? I mean, you just see the eagerness and the, the diligence here. He wants to bring the master glory. So... He went at once and traded with these five talents, and he made five talents more. Likewise then, verse 17, So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. So these first two servants are both faithfully obey their master. They put the master's money to work to earn a profit. And their investing pays off because each one of them doubles the amount that the master had entrusted to them, Right? So we would say, wow, they are good stewards. But Look at verse 18. What, what's the first word in verse 18? But, but in contrast to these two faithful servants, verse 18 says, he who had received the one talent went and dug, it, dug in the ground and hid his master's money. What a contrast, right? While the first two servants invested the master's money through trade, through purchasing, whatever, this third servant does nothing productive with the, the talent, with the, the money that's been entrusted to him. He doesn't do any trading. He doesn't make any investments. He simply buries it in the ground and leaves it there. Now, back then, that, that, that was one way people would protect their money from being stolen, right? Bury it in the ground. And so, you know, we could say, well, the third servant's just being careful, right? He doesn't want any of the money to be lost. And it's like, well, but that's not what he was told to do, right? Yeah, maybe none of it's going to be lost, but nothing's going to be gained either. And the master had entrusted that money to him to, to, to earn a profit. Verse 19 Here's what I was mentioning earlier, now after a long time the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So the master returns after a long time and and again we've seen Jesus do this uh, repeatedly throughout this Olivet Discourse showing that his return would not happen right away but that he is coming back. So even though there's a delay don't think he's not coming, he is coming. The master returns and meets with his servants and and He he wants a report, right? The master wants a report from his servants on what they did with the money that was entrusted to them. So the first servant gives his report in verse 20. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. Master responds, verse 21. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Similar thing then with the second servant, verse 22. And he also who had made the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I've made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much enter into the joy of your master what do you notice about those two replies they're they're exactly the same aren't they you say well wait a minute one the one guy earned five and the other guy earned two but they both were faithful right they 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 had been entrusted with different amounts to begin with So again, it's it's not about like just the bottom line per se, you know. It's about faithfulness. The master knew what their abilities were. He knew what what resources he had entrusted to them. And they both were faithful. And so the master is very pleased with them. He says, well done. He calls them good and faithful servants. And he invites them to be with him in a place of great joy. And he rewards the faithful servants with increased responsibilities, right? That's a principle, again, throughout Scripture. If, if you prove to be faithful in a little, more opportunities will be given to you. Same principle here. So that's a beautiful and, and happy picture, right, up, up so far. <laughs> but then we have to say, well, what about the third servant, the guy who hid the talent? Well, verse 24 describes that encounter when he stands before the master. Look at verse 24 with me. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, "Master, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed, so I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here have what is yours." So, how much is he given back to the master? Well, just the one talent, right? He didn't obey the master. He, he doesn't have any profit to give the master. All he can do is give back the original talent that was entrusted to him. Why? Because this servant had not labored for his master. He had not been a good steward. He's not sought to, to bless and work for the good of his master. He's not tried to serve the master. He's not tried to benefit the master. In fact, notice what else we see from, from this verse. The, this, this servant has a, actually has a very skewed and negative view of the master, doesn't he? He says, he, he calls him a hard man. And that word hard can mean unyielding or, or cruel. And not only that, the servant seems to be saying that the master gets benefits when he, that he doesn't deserve. Like he harvests his grain he didn't plant. And, and so it, it, it seems like there's like a, almost like a resentment, like a bitterness to this master. Like, you know, it's like the servant is saying, I don't think you deserve all that you have. It's like he's begrudging the master's success here. And and we'd have to, as we try to think about that and understand what he's saying, we'd have to stop and say, this third servant doesn't really know the master at all, does he? I mean, what he's the way he's describing the master does not fit with what we see about the master throughout this parable. It's clear that the master is actually very good and, and generous, but, but this servant is accusing him of being cruel and unfair. And so we'd have to say, this servant, he doesn't truly know the master, and, and it seems clear he doesn't love the master. He doesn't value the master. The master. He doesn't value good happening to the master. He doesn't want to see the master's kingdom grow. He doesn't care about the master's fame. Yes, he may, this servant may have a measure of fear for the master, but we, we'd say he doesn't seem to like the master. Bottom line this servant has no love for the master. And so look at the master's answer in verse 26. You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Notice the ESV puts a question mark there. I'll explain that. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. I think here the master's not affirming the wicked servant's opinion of him. He's not saying, you're right, I am cruel, I am hard. No, I, I think he's saying, well, you, you think I'm that way? Well, I'm going to judge you by your own words then. If you truly believe that I was such a severe man who, who only cares about the bottom line, who only cares about profit, why then did you not at the very least put my money in the bank? I mean, do the bare minimum here just to collect a little interest. And so what he's saying is, your, your failure to do this shows that you do not respect me. Rather, you're defying me. You, and he, he cuts to the chase of it, doesn't he? You're a wicked and slothful servant. It's like he's cutting through all the excuses and all the misinformation. And he gets to the root issue that the servant's heart is wicked. The servant's heart is in rebellion against the master. Therefore, the master punishes the servant. Verse 28 now it's like he's you know, saying this to a third party. So take the talent from him. Give it to him who has the ten talents. And here's the principle. For to everyone, been, uh, forever, for to everyone who has will more be given and, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And now look at verse 30. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Clearly, that's the language of hell. Jesus is talking about hell. He's talking about a place the Bible says a lot about, actually a place of eternal punishment for those who reject Christ, for those who die still in their sins, still separated from God. This third servant was not faithful. And here's what we need to understand. His unfaithfulness shows that this servant is not a genuine follower of Christ. And that's that's a thread that that is in a lot of these parables. Is that, I mean we saw it with the the ten young women. Right? We're going to continue to see it. It, This idea of everyone is not who they appear. Right? Right? And in this life, there can be some who, who kind of give lip service to Christ and who, you know, would maybe be in a church service on a Sunday and would maybe profess to be a Christian. But ultimately, the proof is in their life. Right? Not that we're saved by works, but if, if God has done a work in us, then it will be evidenced in our works. Right? James 2 Faith without works is dead. And so this third servant has, has shown that he's not a genuine follower of Christ, that he doesn't really love Jesus. And again, to put it in the gospel terms, it shows us that he is not someone who has turned to Jesus in repentance and faith. He hasn't looked to Jesus for, for mercy and grace He's not embraced Christ as Lord and Savior and therefore this third servant is cast into hell. And so this parable points to an important truth and that is that one day we will all stand before God. One day we will all be examined By our creator. The Lord Jesus Christ will return. And we will all stand before him. To be judged. And and the first type of judgment. Or the first piece of that judgment. Is simply really a matter of. Are you saved or are you not? It's a matter of salvation. Or or damnation. Are you going to be. Are you going to spend eternity in heaven. Or in hell. And on that day. You'll either. You'll you'll stand before God one of two ways. You'll either stand before God in your own works, in your own righteousness, or you will stand before God clothed in the perfect righteousness of Christ, having been united to Christ by grace through faith. And of course, only those who are clothed in that perfection will be welcomed into heaven. God is a holy God. He cannot have sin in His presence. And so only those who are, who are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, only those who are united to Christ by faith will be welcomed into heaven forever and enjoy His presence forever. And all who are without Christ will be cast into hell. All who are just trying to stand before God in their own works, right? And so many people think that, don't they? They think, well, you know, if I can just be good enough, if I just try to, you know, be, be kind or whatever, maybe I, can, maybe I can get in. And the Bible is so clear, no. Left to ourselves, we all fall short. We've all sinned against God, and he is of in- infinite value. And so any of our sin leaves us deserving eternal punishment. And so one day we'll all stand before God for that judgment. And at that point, it'll be too late. Your, your fate will already be sealed. But the good news of the gospel is that today is the day of salvation. And so today, even if you're without Christ, today you can be saved. The Bible says we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but that God grants grace and forgiveness to all who in this life will turn from their sins and cry out to God for mercy and believe on the name of Jesus for their salvation. All who do that are saved. Their sins are forgiven. Again, they're united with Christ and his perfection is credited to them. And so, all who do that, all who turn from their sins, all who come to Jesus by faith, know that all their sins are forgiven, that they're they're, that Christ, they're justified, as the Bible says, they're they're declared righteous. And so, when they stand before God on that final day, what are they going to hear? They're going to hear, "Welcome, enter into the joy of your Master." They will be gloriously rewarded. So all who belong to Jesus will not face the fires of hell for our sins. Because our sins will have been paid for by Jesus himself. So that's kind of the initial judgment there. Heaven or hell. But as Christians, when we stand before Christ, right? We we know we're guaranteed heaven. But we will face a different kind of judgment. 2 Corinthians 5 describes that. That we all must stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We're going to be judged, or really we could say we're going to be rewarded for our service to the Lord. On that day, Christians will stand before the Lord Jesus and we'll give an account for what we did with the opportunities and the resources that God entrusted to us. Did we seek to, to love God and love others? With with the grace that God supplied. Were we faithful to use our, our time and our treasure and our talents to bring glory to God? Again, the parable reminds us God gives each of us varying gifts, varying opportunities. And we know that, that God is the one who brings the growth, right? He simply calls us to be faithful. To be faithful. We're not in control of the results. We can't produce the growth. Only God can do that. But we're called to be faithful. Be faithful, loved ones. Be faithful in discipling your kids. Be faithful to pray. Be faithful to love and serve. That's what He's calling us to do as stewards, to be faithful. And the Bible says this parable teaches our faithfulness will be rewarded. And again, whether that will be increased responsibilities in the eternal kingdom, I'm not totally for sure what that will look like. But the Bible is clear that our faithfulness here matters for eternity. Again, the Bible teaches that over and over again. It's, it's such an important truth that what we do in this short life matters for eternity. Physical training is of some value in this life, Paul tells Timothy. But training for godliness has value in this life and the life to come. What we do now matters for eternity. And what do faithful servants have to look forward to? To hear those precious words of our Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, as you consider this, and certainly as I've considered this this week, it, um, it brings conviction, right? And it brings, I think, and I'm, again, speaking for myself, needed repentance. And so I encourage you to do that, believer. If you're, if you're realizing, wow, I, you know, I haven't, been, um, I haven't been faithful like I need to. I've not sought the Lord like I should. I've wasted time chasing after the things of this world. Then again, I just once again want to point you to the faithful one, the Lord Jesus. Who lived that perfect life in our place. And so we know that by his grace our sins are forgiven. So once again, affirm and and thank God for his grace and forgiving your sins. And and confess your failures now and ask for his grace to, to help you. Say, Lord, I want to be a faithful steward. I realize that you've given me so much. Please forgive me for getting distracted. Please forgive, forgive me for, for living for the fleeting things of this world. Help me to do all that I do for your glory. It's appropriate for us to do that, to confess those sins, to repent, to, to ask for his help, to be faithful, to, to increase in our faithfulness because we want to see him glorified, right? We want to bring glory to his name. And so if that's how the Spirit is working in your heart, I encourage you to do that. Many of you today, I, I hope this message encourages you because I know you are faithful by God's grace. I know you are faithful to pour yourselves out for the kingdom of God and, and all that you do, your your work, your your, your work out, outside the home, your work in the home, you're, you're doing it with an, with a... I for eternity you're doing it for God's glory and I just want to encourage you keep it up keep it up because your labor in the Lord is not in vain and and this parable reminds us of of what our ultimate um, destiny is for all who are in Christ and that is to hear the words enter into the joy of your Lord and so keep it up I know we, again, I know we live, we're living in the in-between times, right? We're living in this, this time when, when we see all the evil and the sin. But that's not the final picture. That's not the final status. Jesus is coming again. And so may we be found faithful because one day when he comes, we'll get to enter into him, into, with, with him, into his eternal kingdom of joy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for these teachings of our Lord to prepare us and to teach us how we are to live as we await his return. And and we just pray now, Lord, as we continue to worship you um, through the Lord's Supper and through singing, Lord, we pray that your spirit will will be at work and will um, uh, show us Areas that we need to confess and repent of. Show us how we can grow. And Lord, um, certainly lift, lift on high our Savior before us. That we may um, remember the, the joy of, of forgiveness of sins. That we may know the, the truth of, of being counted righteous in Christ. For any here today who don't know don't know you, Lord, through Christ. I pray that you will draw them to you in faith now. Um, help them think about that day when they stand before God, Lord. Help them to uh, experience the, the, the fear, the, the, the bankruptcy of what it would be like to stand before God in our own merits and draw them to faith in Christ, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.